0: The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 to start out with. Uh, We've been going through Revelation, we're going to take a couple week break from that and look at leadership in the church as we just kind of explore, kind of in some ways uh, going off of Revelation 2 and 3 as well as just seeking to kind of teach on this as we kind of explore ways to encourage our church, follow Christ better as a church and uh, we're looking at authority in the church. Authority is kind of an interesting and challenging topic from the standpoint that uh, uh, people want it, but they don't want it, right? I ran across this quote from Bill Vaughn who said, a real patriot is the fellow who gets a parking ticket and rejoices that the system works, <laughs> right? We, we want the system to work on everyone else, <laughs> but not necessarily on us, and uh, part of the reason for that is because uh, we, as we've sung about this morning in some ways, like the, we, we're under Adam, as a sense, and, and being under Adam, we're, we're sinners, we've, we've rejected God's rule over us overall, as, as people and as societies, as, as individuals as well, and, and therefore, we don't like authority from one aspect, um, we, we if, you, if you look at culture in general, uh, you see attacks on every type of authority out there, right? Attacks on the home, attacks on government, attacks on the schools, any, any authority that's kind of set up to say, this is how things are going to go, they get questioned at minimum, they get attacked sometimes. Why? Because overall, the idea is, is that, well, if we would just allow us to, everyone to, in a sense, go their own way and do their own thing, we would all be happy, Right? And yet, the biblical picture of that is is different, even though the Bible has a fairly skeptical uh, view overall on human authority that just kind of takes, takes control. The, the classic, in fact, if you want a classic parable on authority, the Bible has probably the best one on human authority that you can find. It's in Judges chapter 9. In Judges chapter 9, in verse 7, it says, uh, this is in the story of Absalom, not Absalom, sorry, uh, Jeroboam. And uh, he's, uh, uh, there's this, uh, I'm sorry, i have got to get the names right here, Abimelech. And uh, Jotham, his, he had his brothers killed, and Jotham was the only one that survived. And Jotham got up on Mount Gerizim and said, let me tell you a story, guys. He says, the trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, rain over us. Now, the olive tree in the Middle East would be a sign of wealth, a sign of prosperity it's, it's it's a source of oil it's a source of good goodness having an olive tree was a good thing so it might not be the tallest tree or the you know the biggest tree but it was considered this kind of since the wealthiest tree okay and so they go to the the olive tree and they say reign over us and the olive tree says shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees he's like you know, I've got wealth why do I need to worry about anything else right the trees, go, the trees go to the fig tree and say, you come rain over us. And the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? You know, of course, figs are, are, were valued. They had that, that tang, that, that it's a nice taste to it. Now, today we don't like figs overall. We have other fruit that we prefer. But in the Middle East, again, figs were highly valued uh, for their sweetness and their taste. And again, uh, the the, the fig says, no, the trees go to the vine, right? We're talking about grapes and wine and say, you, come reign over us. Even though it's a vine, it's not even, I mean, from our standpoint, it's not even technically a tree, right? And yet uh, they're like, hey, and, he says, and the vine says, shall I leave my wine that le- cheers God and man and go hold sway over the trees? It's like, again, I've, I've got something much better to do than to, to be responsible for everybody to, to, to be in charge of everything. And, uh, and so they, finally they go to the bramble, you know, which again is like, right, it's like a thorn bush in a sense, right? They say, you come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. Does, does the bramble have shade? Not really, right? I mean, it's really a devaluing of trees overall, right? The, the trees have way more shade than the bramble ever wills. And that, here's the other saying to the, to the bramble, you reign over us, right? Right. Um, but if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, he applies that to the situation that he's in, but there's this huge skepticism over people that'll be like, hey, you know, yeah, I'll be in charge. Yeah, let let me be in charge, right? Of course, in today's world, we often have that same skepticism of politicians, right? That someone who says, I'm willing to be in charge, you're like, okay, there's something wrong with you. You know, and, uh, and that you know, you see that in the story with King Saul, right? Israel going and saying, "We want a king," and then choosing that king and not going to God for their king. And so, there's a huge skepticism even in the Bible about human authority and and what it what's what's it good for in a sense, or what it does. And at the same time, the Bible has a, a clear. Understanding that there is that good authority does great things, and that having good authority in in positions of authority to care and charge, take care of things, makes a huge difference. Partially, it's because of how they view the future and what they view the future to be and to act and have. There's different authorities out there who who've viewed the future fairly negatively. The, the Roman engineer Julius front in this in 8100 said inventions have long since reached their limit I see no hope for further developments I, I think he was like totally wrong right <laughs> I was watching something uh, today about uh, they can actually 3d print houses with concrete now you know it's like there's all there's still inventions they're still inventing Uh, Or here's John Erickson, who was surgeon to Queen Victoria in 1873, said, The abdomen, the chest, and the brain will forever be shut from the intrusion of the wise and humane surgeon. Aren't we glad we can go into the abdomen, the chest, and the brain today, right? Because we have invented how to do it. Or here's a journalist, Junius Brown, in 1893, said, Law will be simplified over the next century Lawyers will have diminished and their fees will have been vastly curtailed. I think that was a wish rather than a prediction. So we have authorities that they don't necessarily have a sense for the future. They don't have a sense for what, uh, a a clear sense for what good can come. And biblical authority, and this kind of this definition, if you will, since we're talking about authority this morning, Biblically, authority is the responsibility to care for some sphere, person, or group in order to bring benefit to them. Biblically, authority is the responsibility to care for some sphere, person, or group in order to bring benefit to them. Sometimes we think, well, authority is you're in charge. You get to say what happens. But biblically, the responsibility is to care for some sphere, person, or group in order to bring benefit to them in the future to say that this something good can happen in the future. So I want to look at authority both in in its ideal as well as recognizing that it's it's no longer ideal forms this morning and kind of just kind of help us to see how that applies into the church. Uh, So we're going to look at First of all, authority from creation is the authority to feed and flourish. The authority to feed and flourish. And we see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. If If you have your Bibles, you can go there. Genesis 1 verse 26, otherwise you can see it on the screen here. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Here again, the idea of dominion, that is you're you're in charge of, but again, it's it's not a charge of so I get to do whatever I please, it's it's to care for, to provide for. We see that even more uh, clearly in Genesis 2.15. Genesis 2.14 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the implication here is that, because he spends a lot of time, the author of Genesis takes a lot of time saying, look, here's the garden that God makes. And the rest of the earth is, at best, chaos, if not just not very fruitful at all, okay? But here's this garden that God made, and then... He commands Adam, he said, he makes Adam, and he says, Adam, take, in a sense, take this model of a garden that you've received and spread it over the entire earth. Now, when you think of gardens, some of you might think of uh, French gardens, you know, they're very controlled and, you know, put together. And, and, or you might think of an English garden, or you might think of a vegetable garden, or you might think of a flower garden. There's different types of gardens. But the point is, is that there's this uh, this purpose that's given to it, so that it's fruitful, so that it flourishes. The point of a garden is that, is that things are cared for, so they can produce and flourish and 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 be beautiful and thrive. Right? That's the way you do it. It's not just so I can go take you know take vegetables and eat them. It's so that it's that the plants can flourish. Like, you know, if you didn't take some time and some effort, you're... Your pumpkins would, you know, they wouldn't produce anything, right? And that's the point of garden. And what he's saying to Adam at the beginning is, look, you're supposed to take what I've shown you how to do this here. Now you go and do it over the entire earth. And so you get the idea of authority in the sense of, it's designed to show that benevolent care is better than chaos. But I think in today's world, we often think that chaos is better than benevolent authority. <laughs> like if we could just all do what we want, then wouldn't that be better? And yet, from a biblical perspective, benevolent care is better than chaos. It's designed to show that good authority comes in and it provides. It helps. And that's the goal behind what God, why God created the earth and put Adam in it. And that's, if you will, that's a huge, that was, in some ways, I don't know about you, but it's convicting to me because I, like, I look at my life and I say, okay, then if I'm supposed to care for the people and the things in my life and provide benevolent care so that they flourish, is, is that my goal with what I'm doing with the things I'm responsible for, that I have authority over? Am I doing that? Or do I simply kind of just go with the flow, do with it whatever I feel like doing, or never think about, okay, how do I provide for and care for the, the people, the things that are under my care? Now, sometimes we just do it with things that are new. Um, we, we got, a friend was getting rid of a, an old electric car, like totally electric and uh, and so we we were in the midst of kind of shifting our vehicles around and we got uh, we, we bought it from them it's the first time i've ever owned a totally electric car you understand i, I don't, there's no gas into it at all it, it it can only go 60 miles maximum and then it takes like 12 hours to charge you know and you're like what good is it what good is it then well, if you're driving around town, it's great, okay? It's way cheaper, right? But, but to care for it properly, you're like, okay, it, it's, it's different than caring for a gas car. I know how to care for a gas car. you got to put oil into it every 3,000 miles and check the air filters and make sure it's all working. And, and most of the time, if you do those things, you're pretty much set. you got to check a few other things. But those are the things you got to do, right? Electric vehicles, just, just plug it in, you know? But actually, the battery is the most important thing then. Like, how do you care for the battery? Because those batteries can fall apart over time. And so you're learning something totally. And it's fun to learn in some ways. It's fun to learn something new to care for. Like, okay, how do I care for this car? It's different from anything else I've ever known. And, And so you learn it, and you study it, and you kind of think, okay, how do we set it up so that it can work well? And you go through all that process, and it's fun. But then the okay, now we got to do this for the next 10 years if we're ever going to keep this car, it becomes a little bit more like, eh, I don't know. Do I really want to do that? <laughs> you know? and, and I think we're all like that to an extent, right? We get something, we're like, oh, this is fun, I learn it, and then, no, now I've got to do it. I mean, farmers are kind of, they're in this boat, right? They, they have to care for their land oh every year, every year, every year. I'm not sure I would want to be a farmer in a sense, right? Because it's like you gotta think about the land every single year. Like, do I need to put fertilizer? Do I not? You know, what kind of seed do I put? And all these things you have to put into it, but they're doing it for the purpose. Why? Because they're it's it's they're responsible for it. They know that if they don't care for it, it doesn't flourish. Right? The question is, is do we put that care into the people we're responsible for? Do we put that care into the, the life God has given us? Why? Because every one of us are an authority in some fashion. If it's just over ourselves and our own lives, it might be also others. Now, another added thing here is that God then says, okay, it puts Adam in the garden, and then he says to Adam, he says, verse 18, then God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And here we have this word for helper. It's the idea that God is coming along, and he's not saying he just needs a servant to do all the things he, that, that he doesn't want to do. The, the idea of helper here is also used of God, is someone who comes in who can do things that Adam can't do, okay? The idea is, is that there's things that Adam, Adam can do, but there's things that he needs help with that he can't do, in a sense, and he, and he brings, obviously, Eve to the into the picture. And it's it's an interesting thing here because again what you see is this pattern throughout scripture both within the trinity itself as well as this pattern of authority is not just okay I'm in charge I get to see what happens but I'm in, I'm responsible to care for and part of that is to bring you alongside of me so that we can share in the the, the beauty and the good that we're developing. You see that with the Trinity, okay? If you read the Gospel of John, Jesus clearly says he does what he does because he loves the Father. And he also says that the Father has brought him in on this work. Why? So that they can do good together, And there's this picture here of authority is not just I'm in charge, I get to say what happens, but I'm in charge and and, and I'm responsible for something and I want to share in the good and I'm going to develop some good here and I'm going to bring you along so that we can do it together. And and so we have this, this mutual thing that's happening here. And I believe it's because ultimately, ultimate reality is God is trinity. It's not just like God is one person and he's got one mind. And he, and he, but it's, he's in relationship together and he always, always brings things in, right? And says, let's do this together. And so... When we say that we're responsible for something, what we're saying is I'm responsible to bring benefit to it and part of that benefit is to bring someone along and say, let's do this together. And let's use the strengths that you have that I don't have. Now, obviously, within the Trinity, that's not the way it works. You have all omnipresent, all-powerful beings coming together to do it. But they they share roles. It's not like the father steps in and says, I'll be the son for a while. No, they, they do different things. In a sense, because one can't do all the roles. And so, again, you have this picture of authority that comes together to to flourish and to provide for, and ultimately, within the context of Genesis 2 and 3, it's the context of the family, right? To say that we're going to create this family together so we can benefit the children and see them flourish as well. But of course, that's not what happens in the biblical story, Genesis 3, right? This, but this, the servant comes in and questions God's authority, right? And, and ultimately lies about God's authority. He says, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It, what's, what's interesting here is God, Satan wants to subvert God's authority, but then he sets, he doesn't just like, get rid of authority, he sets up other authorities, right? He sets himself up as an authority, I know better than God, and you can be better than God too, right? It's not like God is bringing them in and he's walking with them in the garden, as described it, and, he, and he's, he's spending time with them and, and, he's, and he's with them as they carry out his, his commands, but now it's like, no, you, you can know better than God, you can, be, you can be like God, but be separate from him, and, and the serpent sets up, basically, Satan's plan is to use authority to replace the authority of God, and ultimately to steal our faith in God. And what you see is, instead of authority being used to bless and to provide, authority is now used to steal and to destroy. And what you see, that's, that's why in the Bible there's often a huge skepticism about authority, right? Because... Satanic authority, when people step outside of God's authority, they use authority to steal and to destroy, not to provide. I'm going to take from you so I can be safe. I'm going to take from you so I can have what I want. I'm going to take from you in order so that I can can do what I please. And that's pervasive in our world, right? And it's destructive. And because of Satan's twisting of god's authority and usurping of god's authority in that sense christ had to come in and that's where we see another type of authority besides the the authority to feed and flourish you have the authority from redemption the authority from redemption right to sacrifice and share to sacrifice and share christ came right christ came to defeat the devil's plan but he does it not by setting up a separate authority but by submitting to the father's authority again in the Gospel of John, he says, clearly, I come to do the Father's will because I love Him. Because I submit to His authority. I want His authority. And I'm following His authority in what I do, even to the point of death on a cross. And by doing so, He restores our faith in God. And we have here this picture here, Colossians 1.15. It kind of gives us this picture of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. So this takes us all the way back to Genesis 1 and says, man was made in the image of God, and yet we twisted it to our own purposes. But Christ is, again, this restoration of the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That is, all, he inherits everything of creation. Rather than Adam being the, the, the provider and the inheritor of creation, Christ becomes that instead. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So again, we see this this coming back, Genesis chapter 1. Everything is is given to Adam to be in charge of, and now it's, it's Christ. Christ is receiving that authority, and it comes through him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So here we, he, we see this redemption, this creation side of it, but also this redemption side of it, right? That he is this group of people, the church, who, who have been promised resurrection from the dead. He's the first one who has received that. And he's the one who, who and it's again when you look at Matthew twenty eight where Christ says, you know, go and disciples, go in all the world and make disciples. You get this picture idea of Christ says, you know what? I made you disciples. You you've seen what it's like. Now take this idea and go through the entire world. It's 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 very similar to Genesis one and two again, right? Like okay, you know how this works, and I'm inviting you in on the project. We're going to create something good here. Now let's take it and spread it over the entire world instead of plants and animals. It's now people, primarily. Let's restore back this image of God that we, that we can come back and, and see the beauty of what, who God is and, and submit to His authority and seek to flourish people that are under our authority. And to do that, then, we, we have to seek to suffer and to, and to provide, in that sense, going back to what it said here, and to sacrifice and to share. Notice again verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here's how Christ has the authority to redeem because he went to the cross, he paid for our sin, he died, and he rose again. And we have, and he has this authority to redeem because he suffered and provided. And because of that, authority looks different. And and it's not like it was different than designed, but he's restoring us back to what it looks like to truly be authorities over things, especially broken things. And so the, the point here is that we follow Christ. We follow Christ's mission, and we seek to be like Christ. And if Christ is willing to suffer... In order to redeem and to restore people, so we, although we don't ultimately redeem people, that we are willing to suffer as well. Why? To restore that love for God and love for others back to its primary place. Notice, so in the church, how does this apply? Well, 1 Timothy 1.5 gives us a key idea here. It says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. So Paul is telling Timothy, you're in charge of the church in Ephesus, and you're, you're responsible for them, and the aim of your charge, what you're seeking to build and develop within the church is love for God and others, that, that issues from a pure heart that understands <laughs> who God is and is purely devoted to Him, and a good conscience, someone who's saying, I, I'm, I've got integrity, I, I'm not lying to myself or to others about who I am and what I'm seeking to accomplish and a sincere faith. I'm trusting God. I'm walking with God. I'm I'm depending on Him. And all of those things are driving my love for God and my love for others. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. This is your goal within a church, the thing that you seek to to command and teach. It goes on in 2 Timothy to say, for God has not given us a spirit fear to fear but of power and love and self-control therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our lord or of me his prisoner but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of god and what you see in second timothy is paul telling timothy not not how to run a church as much as practically how do i deal with myself as a pastor and he's in you know, But one thing he says throughout it is share in suffering for the gospel right being willing to suffer Be willing to to do the hard thing. And if you look through 2 Timothy, what he's saying is, is, you know what? Uh, Depend on God's grace. Be strengthened in that grace, but be willing to, to do what God says. Cling to the authority of Scripture, but cling to that without being quarrelsome, without being manipulative, without being deceptive. Instead, we, you live out your, your life and your teaching matter. He's basically saying you're, you're, your teaching and your life need to go together. You, you, the way you live and the way you teach should match up. And he ends the book by saying this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. And the word here for preach is just proclaim it. It's not like get up in front of people and preach as much as just whether you're one-on-one with people, or one-on-three with people, or one-on-a-hundred with people, or whatever. Use the word. Proclaim the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves. Teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And what's What's interesting here is, again, we can just explore this a little bit, is that he's saying, look, because you're responsible for something, not you can avoid suffering, but enter into, endure it, go through it. Why? Why? Because you're caring for people. You're providing for them. You're, you're, you're submitting yourself to the authority of Scripture, I was reading a book by Jonathan Lehman this week on authority, and, and he, he made this point. He's like, within, within the biblical worldview, you have basically three authorities you have parents, you have the government, and you have kind of the church and God's people and the, the authority that comes with that. And they all have different, uh, different purposes, right? Parents, their, their goal is as an authority, is to, is to provide for, to care for their children. And they're also given a tool to, to, to for, enforce that authority, and it's called the rod, right? Like you can, you can discipline your children, you can cause them pain. Why? Because ultimately, according to Proverbs, you're trying to drive foolishness out of them. The, the idea that there are no consequences to their actions, you're trying to drive that out and say, no, there are consequences to actions. And you have an authority that, that says you're going to teach that to your children and you're going to insist on that with your children. Why? Because you're trying to protect them from the chaos that comes from saying, I can live however I please. Not in God's world, you can't. You just can't. And so you have an authority to, to step in and say to your children, no, this, this, is, this will cause you harm and if you keep going, there's consequences that you come from me. The government, Right? Is, is the, 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 the authority there is to protect and provide for a people group, a nation that they would be taken care of and they would be defended, and, and, and both from outside enemies as well as inside enemies, right? And the, 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 the tool they're given is the sword, right? Revelation 13, Romans 13, right? They're given the sword, right, to deal with evildoers. Again, a, a nation can step in and say, no. These are enemies and we're going to keep them out of our country, right? And then you have the authority of the church, right? The, the, the God's people to say, this is what the gospel is and these are, who, these are people who are trusting in God and they can exclude people or include people who they believe are believers or not. That's the authorities they have. But then there's two authorities within Scripture who have no tool, if you will. Husbands and pastors. Husbands and pastors, right? They have no, they have no, like, they have authority. You're, you're in charge. You're responsible for your wife and your family. You're, you're responsible for that. Pastors, you're responsible for the church, but they're not giving any tool. They're just giving, in a sense, that counsel authority that comes in and says, this is what God says, we need to follow it together. Let's do this together. And so you have kind of four principles here that I think go into good authority. Just really quick, I want to kind of just highlight these for you to help you think about what good authority looks like. And they're all here, so you can write them down if you want to. Good authority is not accountable, but su- not unaccountable, but submits to a higher authority. You see that in Scripture. You see, and it's obviously, it's clear when he's talking to, to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Look, he's saying submit to Scripture, do what God says, run the right kind of race right? You're not unaccountable. You submit to a higher authority. And ultimately, within our church, we're saying, okay, how do we as as leaders within our church, how do we submit, how do we provide accountability to, to the leadership? And maybe we can do better at that so that we have good accountability within our leadership. Why? Because we want to submit to that higher authority, whether it's to the congregation as a whole or to God as the ultimate authority because in some ways like with both husbands and pastors though the point is is that you have no tool you just have to turn to God and say God you know uh, my my wife we're not in agreement here can you can we can you help us come to agreement you know and the same thing with pastors right God uh, this is this is the 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 your word this is what you command help us to come to unity about how to obey it And so good authority is not unaccountable but submits to higher authority. Good authority doesn't steal life, it creates it. Good authority doesn't steal life, it creates it. The point of authority is is to say, okay, how do how can I nurture life? How How can I see it flourish? How can I how can I see it spread? And so, and so you, you have to pr- provide, you protect it from evil influences, but you also have to nourish it and provide for it. And it's not like, okay, I'm going to just take what I need. Authority is saying, how, what can I give? And that's an just important thing to think about in your own life as well, the things that you're responsible for. Do you, do you steal life? Oh, even for yourself, Okay. Like I was listening to something this week and they were talking about how sometimes we, we know we're tired and it's one of the signals the body tells us when you're we're working too hard or we're doing too much, we get tired, right? But sometimes instead of listening, what do we do? We say, no, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do more. And, and we 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 don't listen to our body we steal we steal from something over here so we can do something over here we you know steal from peter to pay paul right that's kind of the analogy but within our own lives and we don't we don't we don't care for our body we don't care for our soul we simply take so i can get what i want right now do you take time to create life in your soul Spending time in the Word with God, spending time with others, do you do that? Or are you simply stealing from all the other areas of life so I can get what I want right now? It's just a good question to ask. And it's a good question of the ask to ask of the authorities in your life. Are they, are they seeking to create life or are they stealing it for themselves? That's satanic if they do that. Good authority is not unteachable but seeks wisdom. Good authority is not unteachable but seeks wisdom. Next week, Pastor Luke's gonna preach on kind of the qualifications for pastors and elders from 1 Timothy 3, right? And and here's kind of this key, one of these key things about being teachable. Is the idea is that good authorities understand that they don't know at all, that they're seeking to grow and develop as well. And so good authorities listen. They listen, they consider, they seek wisdom they're not unteachable they don't know at all they're not unchallengeable in a sense right i you you learn that as a parent right how do i deal with my kids when they they need to challenge my authority they need to kind of come and say okay but what about this or what about that and you 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 give a good authority gives ways good parent gives ways for their children to to challenge their authority without challenging their authority if you know what i mean and you, and you do that in such a way, why? Because you're seeking wisdom. You're saying, okay, to, for me to know what's best for my children, I have to be able to know what's going on in their head and know what's going on in their lives, and I've got to pull that out of them so then I can kind of provide for them appropriately. So good, good authority is not unteachable, but seeks wisdom. Also, good authority then is not self-protective, but it's vulnerable as it seeks to obey God. And that's one of the key things you get from 2 Timothy, right? Good authority is not self-protective, but it's vulnerable as it seeks to obey God. It's basically saying, look, this is what God wants me to do. I know it's going to be challenging. And just like Adam was supposed to say to Eve, look, we're supposed to go spread this garden over the entire earth. I know it's going to be challenging, but let's figure out how to do it together, right? But instead what Adam said, in a sense said at least by practice was I know this is going to be challenging so I'm not sure what to do and you're supposed to be my helper so that means you know more than me in some fashion so I'm just going to be passive here and not do anything and see what happens and how did that end up right good authority is not self-protective it's vulnerable it's one to say you know what this is going to be hard and I don't have all the answers, but I know what God wants us to do and I know he's going to provide for us and I and I by faith I believe that we can do this together. Because God wants us to and God is a good God. So these are four principles that that then should inform the authority within the church as a whole. What are we trying to build together? We're trying to build a community of people as we put it a family, right? That is scripture focused. Why? Because we want to submit to God's authority but it disciples people in grace and truth, right? Because we understand God's grace is with us and God's truth is guiding us. And we, we want people to see that in their lives and operate as if that's true in their lives. And so this is, this is a, a big job. Why? Because we live in a world that's totally against that. They don't want to be scripture-focused. They don't want to submit to scripture. They don't want to pay attention to what God's doing. They only want to pay attention to what they're doing with their lives. And yet, we have the privilege of sharing with them God's love and pointing them to God's love and saying, there's something better than chaos. It's living in the authority and under the authority of Scripture and seeing God work and provide and seeing good things happen. I just for a second reflected on the fact that this week, that I'm not where I'm at. Our... My wife's family, and I are not where we're at without the parents that we had providing. Neither of them were perfect. But they provided. They, they worked. They didn't steal life. They sought to create it. And most of you are probably in the same boat. Your, 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 your parents provided some good to you. They weren't perfect, but they... they provided good to you. Why? Because they didn't want to steal life. They wanted to create it within you. The, the huge benefit that comes from having good authority that operates well. And Yes, there's plenty of authorities out there that don't operate well. In fact, and some parents who don't operate well. I get that. Satan is real. <laughs> Evil is real but we should be people who seek to let God's authority operate in our lives. And so my challenge to you is, is maybe a couple fold a couple things you can take away from this. One is, maybe who are the authorities in your life that you can appreciate who are doing. they're not stealing life they're creating, that they're providing? Can you, can you, can you encourage them oh, But even just for yourself, if you're not, if you're single, you're not married, you don't necessarily have a family that you're responsible for, but you are responsible for yourself. How can you provide for your soul? How can you be, in a sense, a good authority over yourself even, right? Can you spend some time in the Word this week? Can you spend some time in prayer just reconnecting yourself with God? Why? Because He's the one who provides for you. Do, Do you have all the answers for yourself? Do, do you know all the answers for your life? Most of us would say no. We don't, we don't have all the answers. Well, what do we do? We, we, we provide for our souls. So we go back to God and we say, God, I'm waiting on you. I'm trusting you. I want to follow you. You know, if your body's telling you, hey, I'm too tired here. Okay, what, what can you do about that in a way that doesn't steal your life, but rather provides for it? My prayer is is that we, even as we think about authorities in the church, is that we realize what authority means even for us. We're accountable to God. We're seeking to create life. We're seeking wisdom rather than being unteachable. And we're being vulnerable as we seek to do that together. Why? Because as we do that, God works. God provides because he's active. It's his world. And he wants to create something beautiful with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, that you are in charge of this world and that you, when we rejected your authority and were, we're headed for death, ultimate death, yet you sent your Son to redeem us, to rescue us. And Christ suffered on our behalf. He went to the cross on our behalf, suffering to show your great love for us. And we want more and more people to know of that love. We want more and more people to realize that they don't have to depend on themselves and just what they can accomplish in this life to to have meaning and purpose and joy in life, but they can go to you and find joy and peace and love eternally. Lord, help us to be a place where that care for souls, that family feel is, is really evident because we're caring for one another and providing for one another so that we can see life flourish in you. In your son's name we pray, amen.